You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to a new edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, and today, as always, we are joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. An exciting day for the Cavaliers on Sunday, and then the uh, the excitement was made official today on Monday when we were recording this podcast. Cavs beat the Pacers on Sunday night, but Chris, the talk of the town is Karis LeVert coming to Cleveland and we talked a lot about, you know, the fact that the Cavs are going to make a move and that Karis LeVert was somebody that they really had their eye on. And, I mean, I think we both thought that he might be out of the Cavs' price range in terms of what they were going to ask for him. Um, but it turns out that Cleveland had more than enough in terms of, you know, getting Karis LeVert to Cleveland. So how did Kobe Altman pull this off to where, you know, they didn't have to give up Colin Sexton. They didn't have to give up Isaac Okoro. How did he get the Indiana Pacers to agree to this deal and, you know, to bring in a player like Karis LeVert who can, you know, truly, truly take them to another level? Yeah, I mean, I think the big part of it was that they had an expiring contract in Ricky Rubio that that aligned perfectly with Karis LeVert. And Indiana is a team, Hayden, that's now starting to look towards the future and Indiana saying, all right, what kinds of things do we need if we want to expedite this rebuild? Um, and they need draft picks and they need cap flexibility. And the Cavs were willing to offer both of those. And yeah, Indiana wanted Isaac Okoro and talked about the possibility of the Cavs including him in a deal. And Indiana was hoping for multiple first round picks, not just one first round pick. So it was just about the two sides coming together and figuring out they knew the foundation of the deal was going to be Ricky Rubio's expiring contract that gave Indiana flexibility. Um, and then they knew that it was going to be a first round pick, at least a first round pick. Then it was about trying to figure out, OK, Karis Levert is worth more than just one first round pick. But what is that more? And the Cavs weren't willing to part with Colin Sexton. They weren't willing to give up Isaac Okoro. And the Cavs had a high second round pick coming from the Houston Rockets, one of the worst teams in the NBA, that can ultimately by some teams be looked at as very similar to a first round pick. So because the Cavs had that high second round pick from Houston and they were willing to give up another second round pick on top of it, it's just the Cavs had the kinds of pieces that Indy was looking for if they were willing to move Liver. And 
I mean, that's exactly what they did. I mean, I'm, it, it, I was pretty shocked when I saw it. I mean, we talked about Ricky Rubio. We talked about the contract. We talked about all that stuff. But, um, I mean, I, it, it just didn't seem like that was something that would be enough. But, I mean, it just was. And, uh, I mean, when you talk about Karis LeVert, I mean, that's, you know, that do you believe that that was probably their number one target? I mean, out of all the targets they had, you know, Karis LeVert was a guy that they really felt that they, you know, would take this, would be their top target and could really, you know, find this team uh, another level. The way that I wrote about it for Cleveland.com, Hayden, was that he was their top target and the best fit of the guys that they classified as truly available, right? There are some yeah. other names that you continue to hear in the trade market, but the Cavs, based on what those teams wanted in return, based on what they would have to do with their roster and based on the opposing executives willingness to actually move those guys. Like the Cavs didn't really classify them as truly available. So the ones that were quote unquote, truly available are Gordon, Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, Buddy Heald, Derek White of the San Antonio Spurs, Dennis Schroeder, Goran Dragic, like of that group, that you heard linked to the Cavs throughout the entire process, yes, they believed that not only was Karis LeVert the most talented player of that group, um, but he was the best fitting player of that group because of his age, because of his contract, because of his skill set, because of his attack first style, because of his size, because of his scoring punch. You know, Eric Gordon brings some scoring and some shooting, but he's not the playmaker that Lavert is, right? Schroeder brings playmaking and scoring, but he's not as much the fit in terms of the locker room. There are some questions about that. So you kept looking at each individual guy, and the one who checked the most boxes was Lavert. With Karis LeVert, I mean, what kind of a player is Cleveland getting for those who might not have, you know, known about him before? I mean, obviously an Ohio guy from Columbus, went to Michigan, had a great career there, um, was, you know, a guy that Ohio State knew all too well in Michigan. So um, who are the Cavaliers getting in Karis LeVert? I saw yesterday that um, Rick Carlisle was talking, you know, his praise is not only on the court, but off the court. I mean, it just yeah. seems an ideal fit, not only for their um you know, for the team on the court, but also for the locker room. I mean, he averages 18.7 points per game. Um, so he clearly has the kind of scoring potential that the Cavs need to take some pressure off of Darius Garland. He's also enough of a playmaker. And I asked Rick Carlisle just about what makes him such a really good fit for the Cavs. And he said one of the things that stood out is that, you know, there were times throughout the course of the season that Indiana had to play a slow down, muck it up, grind it out game. And Levert was able to thrive in that kind of role. And then there were other times where Indy just had to outscore some teams and they said, forget it, we're missing too much. We just have to find a way to win. We have to speed this up and we have to play a fast game. And Levert's able to do that as well. So, you know, with Malcolm Brogdon being sidelined because of the injury that he's been dealing with for a majority of the season, they put the ball in Levert's hands and they essentially asked him to be the de facto point guard. So he's got the size more of a two guard, but he has some characteristics of a point guard, which is really helpful for the Cavs because they need another playmaker because they lost Colin Sexton because they lost Ricky Rubio because they just don't have anybody that can create shots for themselves or for 
teammates other than Darius Garland. And there's just way too much on Darius at this point in time. So um, he can score. He can make plays. He can play on, off the ball. Um, he can score inside, outside. He's more of an attacker. His shooting percentages aren't very good, especially from three-point range. Um, so he's more somebody who's going to attack the rim and, and collapse the defense and force the defense to make a decision, and that's up to him to make the proper play once that happens. He's not a great defensive player, but the Cavs feel good about the guys that are behind him. It's the same kind of conversation that we had at the beginning of the season, Hayden, with Colin Sexton. There's protection now with three seven-footers. It's the same thing when it comes to Levert. He's going to get beat off the dribble. He's not a great defender. That's not his reputation. But there are guys on this roster that can protect him, and they can take some of the pressure off of him on the defensive end of the floor. So, you know, it's it's not – this isn't a superstar that they're adding, Right. This isn't an all-star that they're adding, but they're bringing in a guy who does the things that the Cavs need help in. And that's, I think, the best way to put it. So how, do you see, how is he going to fit with Darius? I mean, obviously, Darius, you know, is kind of the captain here, all-star, on the ball, you know, point guard. Is he going to be... Um, is it going to be a situation where they play a lot at the same time? Is it going to be a situation where maybe when Darius sits, Karras will take over with the ball? I mean, what do you think the situation will be um, in regards to those two? I think it's both. I think it's either or. I think in a weird way, it's kind of a combination of the role that Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio played just in like one big mashup. Uh, you saw Colin and Darius play together at times. You saw Colin and Darius not play together at times. You saw Colin and Rubio play together at times, and then other times they didn't. So I do think he's going to play with Darius. Sometimes Levert's going to be the primary playmaker in those looks, and sometimes it's going to be Darius. I think both of them have shown an ability to play off the ball. Darius probably can play off the ball better than Karras can play off the ball. Um, I think you're going to see Karras close games in certain lineups, and I think you're going to see him run the second unit in a way that that Rubio did. He's not Rubio, okay? He doesn't have the same vision as Rubio. He's not as good of a passer as Rubio. He doesn't move the ball the way that Rubio does. Um, he doesn't run a team as well as Rubio does. But you're going to see him get opportunities, I believe, to run that second unit alongside Kevin Love and Jetty Osman and see what that looks like. It's It's fascinating. It's fascinating that, you know, that Cleveland brought in a player like this, and and it's going to be interesting to see how he works, you know, with, um, you know, not only with Darius, but with the rest of the team. Uh, obviously, you know, the guys that have stepped up as of late, Kevin, Jetty, it, you know, it's just, it's, I think that I'm starting to look towards the Cavaliers as like, can they, can they really come out of the East? Can they be the one seed? I mean. Okay, you, so that's a different conversation. I mean, do you think Those so? Are two separate conversations. You think so? Can oh yes, absolutely. Can they be the one seed in the Eastern Conference? That's what I yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean coming out of the East like in terms of the finals. My bad. I meant like yeah. yes, I meant like coming out of the East as the one seed. Yes, my fault. Yeah, you're right. Those those would be two very very different yes. conversations. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I'm, and and to be honest with you, Hayden, a big reason why the Cavs acquired Levert is because of the postseason. Look, they knew that they did not have enough offense. They lost Colin Sexton. They lost Ricky Rubio. 
that's a lot of offense to lose. And the only guy, well, the only two guys that came in to fill that void, Brandon Goodwin on a two-way contract, who, who has spent the majority of his career in the G League, and then Rondo, who is a shell of his former self, and he looked great yesterday, great against Indiana. But, you know, he's played, I think, three games where I felt like he could actually help the Cavs in a playoff environment. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, his um, his impact on the game has been sporadic at best. So the Cavs knew in a playoff series, you don't win playoff games 94 to 90. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wrote this in my piece yesterday. The Knicks last year, they used a stifling defense to get the four seed in the Eastern Conference, got into the playoffs, played against Atlanta, and lost in five games because they couldn't score. Right. In the playoffs, every team knows what you're trying to do. They know your strengths and weaknesses. And um, games slow down, and they start scouting you, and it just becomes tougher to consistently score unless you have dudes like Levert who can just go get a bucket. Things break down. Defensive ha- defenses have you scouted as well as possible. Just go get a bucket. Just go create something out of nothing. Um, and defenses were gearing up to just throw everything at Darius in a seven-game series. And it was going to be really, really difficult for the Cavs to function in that kind of way. It was right. going to be really difficult for them to consistently score 100 in a playoff environment, um, depending on the team that they were going to face in the first round. Now, there's a little bit more balance with the offense. There's a little bit more juice with the offense. And you feel like the issues that the Cavs could have had in a seven-game series in the first round, um, I don't want to say they're completely gone because one guy doesn't do all of that for them. But they have a fighting chance now as an offensive group, um, more so than they did before they acquired Levert. Currently, the Cavaliers are the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, but they are only one game, right? One game behind the Miami Heat, thirty-four and twenty Miami, thirty-three and twenty-one Cleveland. So they are right there, um, and and I completely agree with you. It gives the Cavaliers another, you know, another threat. I mean, not you know, not that they didn't have threats before, but a lot of the a lot of this Cavaliers season has been on how good Darius has been and how good Evan Mobley's been and yeah. how good Jared Allen has been. And now you add another piece to that puzzle, which is super interesting. Uh, obviously, Levert will start for the Cavaliers, I, I would assume. Um, mm, no? I'm not convinced on that yet. I, okay. In fact, in talking to somebody that is in the know yesterday, that is going to be decided. And the way that J.B. Bickerstaff always operates is that he doesn't just give jobs to people. Um, I would not be surprised. I, I think at the end of the day, Levert's probably going to start at the two guard. Okay. Um, but I would not be surprised if it's a Coro initially and Karras works his way into that. In saying all of that, it honestly does not matter. Yeah, it really true. doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. Karras is more than likely going to finish games because they need the things that he can bring. Right. He's going to get plenty of minutes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, that's a good point. I mean, it's not so much in the NBA about, you know, the starting. Yes. Like it's kind of, you know, right. You're starting lineup, but it's about who has the most, you know, the most 
minutes at the end of the game and the most important minutes. You'd rather finish games than start them. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's also about combinations. Right. You know, Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio did not start together. You know what I'm saying? But that duo became one of the most effective duos that the Cavs had, and it became one of the most dynamic duos in the entire NBA based on metrics. And that was with them not starting together. So something similar could, I'm not saying it's going to, but something similar could happen with Levert as well. If the Cavs feel like the value of Okoro's defense in that particular five-man grouping is something that they really need. Yeah, it's going to be, JB is going to have a little bit of a job here to do in terms of, you know, finding the right combinations, finding the right balance at certain times, you know, I mean, he's been excellent, obviously, yeah. you're a coach of the year candidate for sure. Um, and he's been great. You know, he was great using Rubio in the role. He was great. You know, he's been great with Kevin in the right, you know, right moments, Jetty Osman. Um, but it, it definitely does add a little bit to his plate in terms of how are we going to, you know, integrate Karis Levert into the plans. Yeah. I think the point is, the bigger point is that the Cavs have an idea of where he can help most. And that's what's important here. Right. They know that he can attack the basket. That's a weakness of the team. They know he can put the ball in the basket. That's been a weakness of the team. And they know that he can playmake a little bit. And that's been a weakness as well. So yeah. the style that he plays, the skills that he brings to the table, and, and what makes him the kind of player that the Cavs wanted to go out and invest in, there's a glaring hole for that. And it's easy to fill that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I'm looking at your article right now. Um, inside Cleveland Cavaliers, Karis LeVert trade, he very well could push them to the top. Um, and, you know, you did a great job of kind of taking the, the all of the uh, insights and everything that you kind of were hearing and putting them into words. And it's a great piece. So get, definitely go check it out. Uh, it's on cleveland.com slash Cavs. Um, I wanted to get into that quote, though, like he could very well push them to the top. And that's a conversation that I mean, we that's a conversation you said is is very different. I agree. Yes, they right. could absolutely, um, you know, they could they could find their way to the number one seed. Does push them to the top mean like could they could legitimately compete for an NBA finals or does push them to the top mean like stop the Eastern Conference for the playoff? I mean, what does that mean specifically? I got the sense that Carlisle was saying that this makes them a legitimate threat when when the postseason rolls around and they're a team that that can do something similar to what Atlanta did last year, where Atlanta, you know, surprised a lot of people and got to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's that's the way that I took it in listening to to Carlisle boast about Levert repeatedly. And, And I think that's the bottom line, right? Like. They're not Milwaukee, and I think we can admit that. Um, Philadelphia is playing some great basketball. There's an opportunity for the 76ers to get even better at the trade deadline. So there are teams that are more proven, but because of this move, because the Cavs plugged this glaring hole, we can at least have an honest, real conversation about them being something other than a feel-good story that gets to the playoffs and just loses in the first round. You know what right. I mean? Now yeah. this is a team that opponents probably aren't going to want to see in the first round. 
And this is a team that could potentially win the first playoff series without LeBron since 1993. Before the move for Levert, I would have thought that that kind of conversation, despite the way that the Cavs have performed in the regular season, despite their their seating right now in the Eastern Conference, I would have thought that kind of conversation would have been foolish because they didn't have enough offense. Right. And now they're in a very different situation, which is which is what I want to talk about next. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about Kobe Altman and just, I mean, what he has been able to do with this roster and this team. Um, but we'll do that after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And before the break, I mentioned that I wanted to discuss Kobe Altman because as Chris writes in his article here, um, Kobe Altman is definitely a front runner for executive of the year. Um, and it, it just, the moves at times, I think we were all a little skeptical of certain ah. things. Was this going to work? And all of a sudden, boom. I mean, this year it just. Not it, all of us. Thank it, you very much. Well, sure. Not all of us. Correct. But I mean, he did it unconventionally and all of a sudden we're sitting here like, wow, this Cavs team, like they could be very good for a very long time, given that all these guys are young he keeps making great moves like the one with Karis LeVert. I mean, Kobe Altman definitely, definitely deserves a ton of credit here with what he's been able to do. Yeah, I mean, just look at um, just look at the most important people in the Cavs' success. Um, and I, I'm not talking about front office. I'm not talking about coach. Like, that goes without saying. I'm talking about the roster, the roster composition. And then think about the way that those guys came to Cleveland. And and this is one of the way, the reasons why um, I always felt like the best way to judge the Cavs um, while they were losing games, while they were in the infancy stages of this rebuild, was about the individual moves and how you felt about those. Because right. as we talked about numerous times on this podcast, and as I wrote about numerous times for Cleveland.com, it, it was like flipping a house and putting the, the house on the market 30 days into the flip. Like it wasn't ready for that judgment because the bathroom wasn't done, right? Or because yep. one of the master bedrooms wasn't completely finished. If, if, if you want to get the most out of that flip, you wait until it's done when that product can be fully evaluated. And I feel like a lot of people in the previous three seasons were judging the Cavs based on a win-loss record, based on the scoreboard result. And they weren't ready for that judgment. They weren't at that level yet. It's like you can't judge the Detroit Pistons right now on them and, and whether their future is bright and whether their rebuild is going to work based on them being 12 and 41. That's right. unfair. That's premature. They're not ready for that level of judgment. That level of judgment is reserved for the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors. So in the case of the Detroit Pistons right now, you have to judge the individual moves that they've made and how you feel those are going to work or not work when, when it comes to two, three years down the road when the team can be more competitive. And it was the same way with the Cavs. Right. But all along, even though they were losing games, 
there were individual moves that Kobe made that were really, really good that made you feel better about the future of the team. And the one thing that he was always willing to do, Hayden, was make the move that led to the next move. I don't remember when I wrote this. It might have been about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Like, to me, Kobe Altman, as an executive, is the ultimate chess master. And NBA executives have to play chess. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the move on the surface. It's about what that move could lead to. Just think about the James Harden trade with the Brooklyn Nets, the four-team blockbuster that was supposed to change the complexion of the Eastern Conference. That's exactly that supposed... what I'm bringing up, yep. Exactly. So, you know, the Cavs got Jared Allen in that deal, and they got Torian Prince. Then they used Torian Prince to get Ricky Rubio. Then they used Ricky Rubio to get Karis LeVert. Yeah. At the time, you looked at Torian Prince like, what the heck are the Cavs doing? You know, he's probably the seventh or eighth guy in a rotation. But the reason why they were able to get Jared Allen is because Brooklyn needed to dump Torian Prince's money. And then Torian Prince was going to become um, a tradable contract. And the Cavs knew that he was going to be a tradable contract. And that's how they were able to get Ricky Rubio. And different things like that sometimes I feel like got overlooked because the next move that was going to be the better move hadn't happened to that point. Right. He's he's always looking like 10 steps into the future, which is, I mean, remarkable given that it's hard to do. It's hard to see where the plan is going to go, but it just, the Jared Allen move, I mean, it just, it, it paved the way. You're right. It's just, it was just the little things that have kind of added up over time. Then all of a sudden, boom, you get a little lottery luck. You sit there with uh, Evan Mobley and here you go. I mean, they're right there. They're, they're right where they want to be. Um, but I mean, think about some of these other things too, right? And obviously these guys don't pay attention to what the fans say and they don't pay attention to what's written or, or let's, let's phrase it this way. They don't make decisions based on that. Right. Right. But what did people say in 2019? Can't draft Darius Garland. You already have Colin Sexton. Yep. Drafted Darius Garland. Darius now an all-star. Yep. What's this rebuild look like with Jarrett Culver instead of Garland? What's yeah. this rebuild look like with Rui Hachimura or Cam Reddish instead of Garland? Yeah. And then this offseason, you're going to give Jared Allen $100 million and then turn around and draft Mobley? Or you're going to draft Mobley and then turn around and give Jared Allen $100 million? Like, what? What are you doing? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well... Looks like it makes sense now, doesn't it? it that's what I'm saying. He just Kobe had the 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 foresight that we that I mean maybe not you, but that's not like it's hard and and in you know in sports to see so far to the future. We're also based, you know we're also just like okay results went, oriented. Yeah. Yes, the results oriented business. So when the Cavs are losing, it's like man, this thing isn't working. Like you know down the road is it's just not going to be come together. And then all of a sudden you know you're wrong because. Kobe had the foresight and that's why I'm going to, you know, that's why I give him tremendous, tremendous credit. I mean, it kind of all goes back to the Kyrie trade and yeah, I mean, you can argue about the Kyrie trade, yes, but like, this, right. this has been, this has been like, you know, it's been a process and he's kind of had this vision since that day. Yes. And look, there were missteps along the way. I sure. think we can all admit that. I think Kobe yeah. would admit that too. Yeah. 
no, no general manager. Yes. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to get everything right. Not right. in the draft, not in trades, not in free agency. Right. They're not always going to communicate with agents the way that the agent wants. They're not always going to communicate with players the way that the player wants. They're not always going to communicate with opposing GMs um, the way that the opposing GMs want. But, right. I mean, this is a pretty strong resume suddenly. Yeah, a very and, strong resume. And, and yes, a big part of it is that the Cavs are winning games. And you're seeing the process play itself out and you're seeing these moves work in terms of a win-loss record. Um, But even if they were, let's say they were the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, I don't know that that really changes um, the conversation surrounding Kobe and the moves that he has made all that much. It doesn't change Darius Garland being you know, a critical building block of this team's future and having Evan Mobley and having Jared Allen and now adding Karis LeVert. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, and the other thing is, like, <laughs> think about the conversation surrounding Kevin Love for the last how many years? Yeah. Got to buy him out. Got a salary dump him. Just get rid of him. He's doing more harm than good. And Kobe would say to anybody willing to listen, opposing teams around the NBA, hey, look, guys, we're not dumping this guy. We're not attaching a first-round pick just to get rid of him. He can be an asset in the right situation, when engaged, when healthy, when happy, he can be an asset. Yep. He believed that. And now you're seeing Kevin Love in the right situation, being used the right way, Happy and healthy, he might be the sixth man of the year. Right. Right. It's it's wild. It really is wild, the way that this whole thing has come together. And furthermore, the thing I tweeted yesterday that could happen, too, Ricky Rubio could very well, I mean, if, if the Cavs are in the position, it, he could very well come back. I think that that's, that door is open. Oh, that door is 100% open. In fact, um, the Cavs are interested in that, and people that I know close to Ricky Rubio have expressed interest in that as well. Um, And Jose Calderon is very, very close to Ricky Rubio, and Jose Calderon is now in the Cavs' front office. So there is certainly that tie as well. Um, And Ricky Rubio has a great affinity for J.B. Bickerstaff and and the way that that J.B., um, maximizes players, is honest with his players, and just communicates in general. So yeah. this is an organization that, yes, I believe has interest in Ricky Rubio, and I believe that interest is mutual. Now, there's another layer to this whole thing. He's sure. trying to recover from a torn ACL. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, there is you know, that. the Cavs have to feel like he can be a player if they bring him here. If they're going to sign him in free agency, you know, he's going to have to help on the court as well. As behind the scenes. Correct. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit right. 100%. But it's just it's just wild that this trade, I mean, could end up with Ricky Rubio and Karis LeBert playing for the Cavaliers next year. I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy to think about. Um, with uh, with the upcoming games and everything, I mean, it'll be very interesting to watch Karis LeBert and how he kind of fits in. I mean, the expectation is that he's going to be ready to go right away. I mean, from what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to take a physical 
shortly after the league call earlier today, um, the deal obviously went through. It was made official earlier. Yeah. And from everything that I've heard, he's going to be on the practice floor tomorrow with the Cavs. And he will be um, announced tomorrow. To, or he'll be uh, introduced to the media tomorrow, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, that's the plan. Yeah, so it's 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 going to come together quickly. And the question now is that are the Cavaliers done? I mean, yes, you've gotten you know you, you've gotten to a, a player that's really going to help you out in the long term. It's going to help you out, you know, as the season goes along. But are the Cavaliers done? What else could they use? What else could they need? Will they, you know, make another move? What do you think? Yeah, so I was talking to multiple people about this last night um, during the game and after the game, Hayden. And one of the things that kept coming up is is this, and I don't think it can be overlooked. Jay Bickerstaff doesn't play a lot of dudes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Eight, nine, ten. Ten is really max. When it comes to playoffs, trust is going to have to be attached here. Right. So... The Cavs always had room for another guy in this rotation. That was obvious. I don't know who they could acquire at this point in time that would consistently crack the rotation. Yeah. Maybe there's something that I'm not seeing, but that's the way that I see it. So if the Cavs are going to make a move, the, the way that it's been phrased to me is that their biggest move has already been made. They're not going to do anything bigger than acquiring Karis LeVert. They, no, don't, really, they don't really have the pieces or the want to, um, to to acquire somebody that would shake up this roster and crack into the core of this team. So then it becomes like, okay, what would they give up if they're trying to improve the roster? Um, I've been told that they would prefer to hang on to the San Antonio second round pick that they have because they don't want to be out of this draft entirely. And the San Antonio second round pick is one that is valuable and teams are asking about and teams are trying to get from them. Um, I think for the right piece, they would be willing to do it, but I sent a lot of hesitancy on that front. So then you start talking about, okay, what could the Cavs get for some combination of Kevin Pangos, Dylan Windler, Jetty Osman, and maybe a future first-round pick that's heavily protected? Because what else are they going to give at this point in time? Right. Love is staying. Yeah. Markinen staying. Mobley's not going anywhere. Lavert's not going anywhere. Garland's not going anywhere. Allen's not. Okoro's not. All indications are the Cavs like Colin Sexton and still want him to be a part of this. Now, maybe somebody blows them away with an offer for Colin, and then they start to consider it. But at this moment, Colin is still viewed as a big piece of this team's present and future. So... I don't know what they would give up that could really um, get them a piece that could actually slide into this rotation and play consistent minutes. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right that they don't play a ton of guys. And like, you know, now that they've added Levert and Larry Markman is going to be, you know, probably 
on his way back at some point. Um, yeah. It's it, there's not a lot of room. <laughs> there's not there's not much room at the end. Um, but I mean, you know, maybe another fringe guy like, you know, like maybe a Rondo type. I mean, I could see somebody that, you know, can help a little bit off the bench, something like that. But yeah. So if you're th- looking at possibilities to upgrade this roster, Hayden, yeah. where do you think an upgrade could be useful? I mean, I could definitely see it like a, you know, some, some somebody sort of, better than Rondo. Yeah, like a ball handler, ball handler, somebody a little better than Rondo, maybe another wing. Um, that's yeah. I mean, nothing like too crazy. The only two places that stick out to me are exactly what you said. Yeah, an upgrade over Rondo, somebody that you feel better about. But they didn't get Rondo for the regular season. Right. They, they got, got him for the postseason. Right. Correct. And on top of that. Levert is going to handle some of these playmaking responsibilities. Correct. He's not a true point guard. He doesn't run an offense like Rondo and Rubio, but he's going to handle some of the ball handling responsibility. So I don't know how necessary it would be to get somebody else to fill that kind of role. I, I guess the one that really stands out to me is, can you upgrade Jetty? Yeah. Yep. Jetty was awesome against indiana yeah but that overshadowed an 0 for 7 shooting start and his numbers since a blistering start shooting the ball have kind of tailed off here do you know what you're going to get from him on a nightly basis so i think if the Cavs could find somebody that they consider an upgrade over jetty then i think that's where they would try and um, boost this roster a little bit more yeah they just don't have too much to give and too much to get. <laughs> they, Levert, Levert was kind of their, you know, big prize. And, and, and you know, if they stay in, if they stand pat, I, I totally understand. I, I see it. Um, but it's going to be, you know, it's, it's. I'm excited to see what's going to happen here. Obviously, the All Star game coming up in a couple of weeks um, kind of gives them a chance to recharge towards the postseason. But mm-hmm. certainly, this will give them a little boost. Not that they even need it, but hey. You know, it'll be even more of a boost for a team that's, you know, already way overachieved and, you know, will continue to overachieve. And now, you know, maybe even be in a position to where we're talking about not only them hosting, but, you know, hosting the last seed as they're the number one seed. It's it's fascinating. So um, anything else on the top of your mind? I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot with Karis LeVert to go over. Um, I think it's more about just seeing how he fits into everything. Yeah, and they think it's going to be seamless, but yeah, what you think and what actually comes might be a little bit different. Right. I think he's a great teammate. I think he's going to buy into his role regardless. I think he'd be willing to start or come off the bench. He's that kind of guy. I just think he's everything that you want on, on a young team with upside to get even better. Um, it, and here's the thing that I like most. You know, sometimes at the trade deadline, Hayden, these guys get sent somewhere and there are massive expectations. And and look, there are going to be expectations on Karras. The Cavs gave up a first round pick, Ricky Rubio, and multiple seconds. So there are going to be expectations. But he doesn't have to come here and shake things up significantly for the Cavs to take off. Right. They don't need to take off. They're already a contending team. They're already one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. He just needs to fit in and complement what's already going on here. And, you know, 
Darius Garland is going to run the offense, and this is his team, and Evan Mobley is still here, and Jared Allen is an all-star hopeful. So it's not like he's coming to a team with nothing, and he's got to be Mr. Everything. And I think that's going to help him with this transition. He just needs to come in and kind of do his thing. I mean, you know, you don't need a ton from him. You just need him to just be him. I mean, yes, right. It's it's not so much a come in, shake it up, change everything. It's like, okay, fit in and do your thing and help us. Like, it's not like the expectations are going to be super high. Like, we're, we were good without you and we'll be even better with you. Um, so just do your thing. Uh, yep. If I'm J.B. Bickerstaff, that's kind of what I'm telling him. Just, hey. You know, we want to help you be your best, but don't feel like you got to come in here and prove something. Just do your thing, and you're going to help us. And on top of all of that, I mean, this is a guy whose game, for me, from my perspective, is built for the postseason. Yeah. Because teams are going to switch stuff. Teams are going to trap Darius. Sometimes it's going to turn into ISO. That's not the Cavs' game, of course. They're a share-the-wealth team. They want ball movement. They want motion. They want triggers. They want pick and roll. They want drive and kick. But at times, Hayden, this thing's going to come down to ISOs. This thing's going to come down to one-on-one. And and Karras Karras is a really, really good one-on-one player. He is a really, really good rim attacker. And I think... In a postseason environment, I think that is really going to show itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one little side note to end the podcast. Uh, it looks like Jared Allen is not going to make yep. the All-Star game. LaMelo Ball, Deontay Murray, um, they are going to replace Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. So no big Jared Allen uh, representing the Cavs, which is, you know, it's kind of surprising to me. I think we talked about um, – we talked a lot about, you know, Darius Garland potentially not making the game because of the spots and Jared Allen is going to make the game. Well, now, you know, Darius Garland makes the game and well-deserved. Awesome is going to be a great representative for um, for Cleveland, the All-Star game. I think he's super excited about it. I think the fans are super excited about it. But just kind of strange how it all took place and it kind of went opposite of what we thought it was going to do, how it was going to go. NBA got this one wrong. Jared, yeah. Jared Allen should be an All-Star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even Middleton taking the third front court spot as a reserve was baffling to me. He's the third most important player on that team, or he's been the third best player on his own team. And he's been okay. He's played well, but nothing that really stands out about how good Middleton has been for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's not like Milwaukee is the number number one seed in the Eastern Conference, so you needed to justify Milwaukee having more than one all-star. Right. Um, so I think Allen should have gotten the spot over Middleton and, and taking LaMelo over Jared is just stupid. Yes, it's, it's the wrong call. It's there. There's to me, there's just no justification based on the impact and the value that that Allen has brought to the table at both ends of the floor that point to LaMelo getting that spot over Jared. Right. Do you think the NBA just kind of used the ball thing to, to put him in? I mean, that's what kind of I don't know. Um, yeah, that's the only reason I can think of is just kind of him being LaMelo Ball. Well, J.P. Bickerstaff talked about it a little bit when we were in where were we? Houston? Charlotte? I don't know. I don't remember. It was the day after the reserves were announced. Were we in okay. Charlotte? 
Yeah, I think you were. In, yeah, I think it was Charlotte because that's where Lamelo is. Yeah, we were in Charlotte, and the way that he phrased it, and and I think there's some truth to this, Hayden. There is a big man bias. Yeah. Look at the rosters. It's guards, it's wings, and in the NBA, there's a big man bias. People were laughing at the Cavs, saying, "What are you doing? You serious? Mobley, Allen, and Markinen together? That's not going to work." So, I think that's part of it. But, but, but to have the the second best center in the Eastern Conference not on the team is just really baffling to me. Yeah. The only I, center in the East that's been better than Jared Allen is Joel Embiid. It doesn't make sense to me either. But um, maybe he'll take like I like I said the other day, he didn't get announced, and then he had twenty twenty. So. <laughs> Hey, maybe he's going to take this as a slight and just dominate the rest of the way. Not that he already hasn't dominating, but if that was any indication, uh, you know, doesn't get the nod, goes 2020. Yeah, you know, look out hey, San Antonio. That's who the Cavs play next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look out the rest of the year, the rest of the league, apparently. But, uh, <laughs> yes, Cavaliers next facing the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and I believe after that, is it Indian again? Yeah, it's the day after the trade deadline in Indy. Uh-huh. In Indy. So, Karis LeVert making a quick turnaround yeah. to face his old team. I mean, how? what a crazy situation. Um, oh, that was so weird yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what? So, was he just walking around, like, the in the, the bowels of the queue, like, or the Rock, Rock and Mortgage Fieldhouse? Like, where do I go? What do I do? <laughs> I mean, he basically walked off the bus and was headed for the visitor's locker room, and he had a winter coat and jeans on, and he anticipated obviously playing against the Cavs and then he went into Rick Carlisle's office and Rick basically said hey this is at the one yard line this is close to being complete we want to keep you in the loop but by that time I think by that time it had already broken yeah at the time that it broke JB Bickerstaff didn't even know JB was um doing his pregame press conference actually and he was talking to the media about the potential of making additions, Kobe Altman as an executive, um, whether he would be okay if no move was made. And then as soon as he got done, that's when the news came down. And at that point, JB was talking to John Michael, the TV play-by-play voice of the Cavs, for their pregame thing. And then I believe immediately after that, Kobe called JB and JB was a fan of Karis to begin with. Um, Altman knew that ahead of time. They had talked about different possibilities around the trade deadline and JB signed off on Karis and he's really excited about the deal from what I understand. Um, But then it was kind of tricky because Carlisle's pregame press conference was delayed and the um, general manager for the Indiana Pacers was on speakerphone in Carlisle's office with Lavert, Lavert wasn't able to say goodbye to his teammates. Really, it was just a quick goodbye, and then the Cavs um, took him to the Ritz Carlton, where he just had left, and they let him stay the night at the Ritz on behalf of the Cavs. So it was really, really weird. That was one way for the Cavs to not have to deal with him on Sunday. Yeah, they just were like, "Screw this! We need to get yeah. a win. Let's 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 right. get this guy and keep him away." <laughs> we might not be able to stop this guy, so let's just trade for him so that the Pacers can't use him against us. How funny! How funny! Yeah. Um, it, but also mentioned, I mean, Karras is a an Ohio guy from Pick Central. Um, yeah. You know, it was it, he's he's back home, so definitely yes. exciting. 
And according to a source who talked to Karis um, last night, he phrased it as this is a dream come true to come back, play in Ohio, his home state. It's something that he had thought about multiple times. And now that it's here and he joins this team that's going to give him an opportunity to play in the playoffs, um, he's only got nine games of playoff experience in his career. So an opportunity to play in the playoffs it's really, really exciting to him. There's one more layer to this whole thing, too, by the way. What's that? So he has another year on his contract beyond this year. Yes, he does. He's also extension eligible this summer. Karis Levert is represented by Austin Brown of CAA, who used to represent Colin Sexton. Hmm. No longer represents Colin Sexton because Colin switched agencies. He has joined Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. Yes. So there is going to be an interesting conversation as soon as this offseason about Levert's extension and what to do with Colin, who is coming off an injury and is a restricted free agent. Or could be. Let's put it that way. Could be a restricted free agent. Exactly. I mean, he's young. He's definitely a guy that they would like to, you know, I would assume that they would want to keep him around for a little while. Um, Price matters, obviously. Yes, this summer is going to be interesting, but for the time being, just you got to enjoy what they're doing now, right? You got to, you know, just be present in this season and what they're doing, and the future will take care of itself. But like we said, Kobe Allman's already got 10 moves into the future, so he's probably already figured it out, <laughs> and we're just, you know, we're going to wait and see um, <laughs> what he's going to do. He's He's got it. He, he, he already knows. He knows what's happening in 2024, so it's all good. Um, Chris, appreciate you joining us. Thank you, thank you. Um, Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs and be sure to get Chris's insight analysis, all that good stuff um, leading up to the trade deadline and beyond. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial of subtext. All you got to do is cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page, enter your phone number, and you are good to go. So subtext from Chris Fedor, straight to your phone. Before anywhere else, you would have gotten the Karis Levert news right to your phone um, as soon as possible. So uh, cannot, cannot tell you enough to go get um, Chris's subtext. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you soon here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Take care.